The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Well, hi, my friends. I'm laughing already, and this show hasn't even started because uh, Commander Geisman is out the door today. All of my uh, decorum, all of my preparedness has just disappeared because of our guests here today. I was telling him before we started that it was quite an honor to have him on the show. You may recognize the name, I hope. Neil Donald Walsh, 39 books, many of them on the New York Times bestseller list for years and a great influence in many of our lives. I know if you're listening to this show that that's true for you as it certainly is for me. His book, Conversations with God, started me thinking in a whole new way. And I'm sure it's part of the reason why I am where I am today. And hopefully many of you, his books, his work has shifted your viewpoint. But the reason he knocked me off balance is because, uh, well, many of you will be listening, but some of you will be watching this on YouTube. And he may come across as a little serious, but the moment I told him that I was looking forward to him sharing his wisdom, he picked up his phone and had a conversation with God, which had me in stitches. At least I think that's who he was talking to. But enough of me talking. I would like to welcome to the show, Neil Donald Walsh. Thank you, Suzanne. It's very sweet of you to have me on the program. And I'm I'm really happy to be here to have a chance to share some of my ideas and to hear your wisdom. <laughs> well, any wisdom that comes through me is hopefully going to come from higher up because I'm a bit befuddled today, but I love it. It's just uh, it's going to be interesting to see where the conversation goes. I know where I want to start. Thanks to you opening many minds, I have enjoyed my own conversations with God over the last few years, only I was told by God, call me Joy with a capital J. And I didn't share with too many people about those conversations because there's still a bit of hesitation. I think in our culture, we say, oh, well, who are you to say you're talking to God? Well, you, you broke through that ceiling. But my first question to you is, if as your latest book, which we're going to talk about, says that God is not a person, which I know it's not, then how is it that you've been having conversations with this non-person? Well, I think that uh, simply because God is not a person does not mean that God does not have intelligence or the ability to communicate. And my understanding as well is that 
precisely because God is not a person or does not, in fact, uh, contain or appear in any particular specific form because God is essentially formless. It's God's formlessness that allows God to take any form that she wishes so that God can take the form of, of a person if it pleases God to do so and if it pleases me or any individual to think of God in that way, then we can uh, interact, I want to say, with the divine uh, in whatever way feels most comfortable to us. That's the whole point of God's formlessness. What form would you have me take, God says, and, and then God will take whatever form feels comfortable to us. So I think that um, because God resides, that which we call God, the essence the essential energy that is God. I call God, you know, the stem cell of the universe. So wouldn't it be interesting if we just conceived of God as the stem cell of the universe? We've learned now here in the past 30 or 40 years all about stem cells, that they are really undifferentiated cells that can be differentiated into any part of any living being. Well, if God were the stem cell of the universe, then God would be the undifferentiated essential essence that can differentiate itself into any one of a billion, gazillion different manifestations, including men and women and you know, planets, yeah, planets and suns and moons and flowers and trees and whatever else we want uh, to see as divine. So it's quite possible for all of us to communicate with God by simply going within because that which is divine lives within as a part of each of us in my understanding. So really, really having a conversation with God is nothing more than talking to oneself. And with everyone, because as you were speaking, I be became aware that this is God talking with God who is talking with God. Yes, exactly. Precisely. And I've learned that every time I speak with my wife, <laughs> there is a wise man. See, that's great wisdom right off, the, right off the bat there. I know my husband is listening and he would agree with you. Let's see. This is what has made my work as a medium much easier to understand, that it is this essence that speaks through all of us, even after we're out of the body. So is there anywhere in your understanding that God is not? No, right. there, there is nowhere that God is not in my understanding, nor is there anything that God is not. Right. Such, a, such a thing would be utterly impossible. So God is, in fact, and you know, certain um, religions and philosophical uh, statements have tried to capture that by, by describing God as the all in all. You know, the Alpha and the Omega. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Or as I was taught when I was a child, I must have heard it once or I heard it a thousand times as a young person, uh, that God says, I am that I am. And I remember being in parochial school and asking the, the, the nun in the front of the room, I don't understand what that means when God said, I am that I am. And then I was told in my conversations with God, well, they left out a comma. It should have been, I am that comma, I am. And then you can point to anything. 
a flower, a tree, a blade of grass, another person, an ant, a spider, a dog, a planet. And you would hear God saying, I am that. I am. When I spoke with joy, I heard, and I am this. I am. Exactly. So in my understanding, there is nothing that God is not. Now, if we thought that that was true, if we didn't hold it simply as a concept, but turned it into a functioning reality, the world could change virtually overnight. And we wouldn't this, be living in this horrible nightmare that we're now moving through. This is what I would love to dive into you with, dive into with you, especially about your latest book, which is called The God Solution, came out about two years ago, I believe. And it is that the understanding of the things we're talking about could change our world. See, the, the challenge we have right now in our world is that uh, most of the people who are in power in our world have no idea what the biggest problem in the world is. They, they see the outcome, they see the outfall of the biggest problem, which in a single word would be alienation. And so would they, they see, we see that we are alienated from each other. Frankly, Suzanne, more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Cultures alienated from cultures, you know, nations alienated from nations, people in political parties feeling alienation from people in other political parties, races, religions, groups large and small. If anyone is any is different from us in any substantive way, we become alienated because they're not like us. And they're not acting the way we're acting and the way we think that everybody should be acting. So we see that alienation is the outfall of the world's biggest problem. But the people in power, not just uh, the people in political power, but even the people in um, spiritual power, that is the leaders of our world's religions, don't seem to understand what is causing this uprising of alienation, evidencing itself at such a level that, that we are seeing behaviors we couldn't even have believed possible even a few short years ago. And the answer that I was given in conversations with God is another single word, separation. It turns out that human beings have bought into the story of separation. It began, uh, in my understanding, I was told in, in conversations with God, it began in the earliest days of humankind's experience on the earth, as we were just emerging as a species of sentient beings. But we, we began to think of things that were happening around us as whether there were earthquakes or tornadoes or you know, other, other certain so-called natural events. We didn't understand in those days how that was occurring. So we would think that, oh, there's, there must be something else. There's something that we can't control that is causing it to rain or to not rain and give us a three-year drought or causing that earthquake or that, or that tidal wave or whatever it is that's going on. So there clearly is something bigger than us over which we have no control. Ultimately, God. <laughs> I'm sorry? Acts of God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And ultimately, we began calling that God or in, in one language, or Allah, or Brahman, or Jehovah, or Yahweh, or whatever word we wanted to use to describe that ineffable essence 
that we were clear about one thing. We may not all, all agree on its name, but we all agree that it's something other than us. So it must be separate from us. And so humanity bought into the idea of separation. I call that separation theology. The problem with the separation theology is that it inevitably produces a separation cosmology. That is a cosmological holding of all of life as separate elements that are separate from each other. And the problem with that is that a separation cosmology inevitably produces a separation psychology. That is a psychological holding of each individual that says, I'm all alone out here. It's me against the world. And the problem with the psychological profile of that nature is that it inevitably produces a separation sociology. That is groups that feel they have to separate from each other because they all have their own individual interests and agendas that have to be served. So we, in fact, have political parties, religions, states, and nations, you know, all these different separate groups that, that we uh, have created and formed. And the problem with the separation sociology is that ultimately it produces a separation pathology. Pathological behaviors of self-destruction observable on the planet for hundreds of thousands of years, not just in most recent times, but really from the beginning of our movement through life as sentient beings. But if we were, if we were to dissolve the idea of separation, if we were to simply abandon the notion and say, you know, what, wouldn't it be interesting if, in fact, there was no separation, that nothing was separate from anything else? What if we were all simply individuations, but not separations? Any more than the fingers of my hand are separate from my hand itself. They're individual expressions of my hand, but they are part of the same thing that I call my hand and that we call our body. So what if we were nothing more than fingers, if you please, on the hands of God? Separate, not, but individuated, yes. If we thought that was true, that we are all one, we would never allow 653 of our offspring to die of starvation on this planet every hour. Every hour. We would never allow 1.7 billion of us to go an entire lifetime with what, without one drop of pure water. It would never occur to us that we should allow 2.5 billion of us to live without electricity or the dignity of indoor plumbing. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't allow ourselves to create life as we are creating it on this planet if I thought that you were really me in a different form and that I was in fact you. We would see each other at the very least as members of the same family which is a, a stretch and a reach for us now. We can't even imagine ourselves in that way. So we treat each other in the most barbaric ways that one could possibly imagine. It comes from fear. My husband and I were having this discussion where I, I say yes to almost all requests because that's what we do when we know we're helping each other. And we were talking about the, the point of a zero-sum game where most people think there's only so much to go around and so I have to hoard what is mine so that you don't get it. And that comes from that separation. But you have written 39 books about this topic. Your latest one gives mechanics for how to change things. And I would 
bet that you're still not overly discouraged about humanity, knowing what you know about God. I'm optimistic, uh, but I am concerned. I'm a concerned optimist. I do do, do think that there is legitimate cause for concern because I see us moving uh, in directions that unless we change course relatively quickly, could be deleterious, could be damaging, could be injuring to us. In fact, could even repeat history. You know, we we were a highly developed species once before, uh, and we did ourselves in. And the matriarchy simply dissolved and, and disappeared from the planet, even though we were highly advanced and highly evolved. But we were so advanced that we had found the ability to just virtually end our civilization as we then knew it. And so now here we are again. There were enough of us remaining, not, not millions, but enough of us remaining, that we were able to start the species process of evolution over again and here we are at the same inflection point so so you know and we are now making the same decisions we made several hundred thousand years ago do we want to continue and to advance in our evolutionary process or do we want that process to come to a conclusion again until we're down to just a handful of us and start over a third time or or do we want to continue evolving uh, in this particular phase of our species evolution. The answer is obvious. So the book, The God Solution, proposes one. I'd love if you share with us what that is. Well, you know, um, here's the problem as I see it. What What I've advanced is the notion that we think that we must imitate the highest power there is, which we call in our language God, as I said, or whatever other word we want to use, Allah, Brahman, Jehovah, Yahweh, whatever. But we we have been trained, by the way, eight out of 10 people on this planet believe that there is some kind of higher power. We can't agree on what it is or what it wants or what it does if it doesn't get what it wants. But we do agree that there is some kind of a higher power, something larger than us that created all of this. And that is, you know, if you please, observing all that's going on and perhaps even interacting in some way with us. So eight out of 10 of us believe there is a higher power. So this is not a small, not not an insignificant finding that sociologists have discovered in, in recent surveys that were taken around the world. So because so many of us believe that there is a thing called God, we have been taught by the world's religions. Another interesting statistic, by the way, there are 4,200 religions on the planet right now. I didn't make that number up. They've actually counted them. 4,200 faith systems and belief systems. 27 of them we would call major religions that we recognize the names of instantly. But the other 4,200 are faith systems, tribal cultural systems of belief. So, um, and what we what those systems are teaching us is that our best effort in life is to be like God, to be godlike. We should you know try to we should try to behave the way God behaves with us. Now, if we think that how God behaves with us is with love, yes, for sure, God loves us. But that God demonstrates His love by judging, condemning, and punishing us if we don't do what God wants, 
then we've given ourselves ethical and moral permission to behave in precisely the same way with each other. And so we judge and condemn and punish each, each other and have been doing so uh, for hundreds of thousands of years. And we're doing so again right now in Ukraine. That's exactly what's going on, condemning, judging, and punishing. And it's it's going on elsewhere in the world as well, in, in other ways, and also with war. As a matter of fact, our species has had armed conflict for 95% of recorded history, based on our understanding that this is the way we are to behave with each other. You either do what I want, and I'll be good to you. But if you don't do what I want, I will judge, condemn, and I will punish you in whatever way I can punish you, even if it means annihilation and killing all the people. Uh, and, How do we change the worldview if 95, well, let's see, if eight out of 10 believe in a God and that viewpoint is not helping things, how do we change that quickly enough to make it? I, th I, think, I think by changing our definition of God itself, mm -hmm. the, what I call the God solution is for humanity to come up with a new cultural story that says, dare we say, by the way, is it possible that we've got it all wrong? Is, I, I actually wrote a book by that title. The book is called God's Message to the World, colon, you've got, it, you've got me all wrong. That's God's message to the world. You've got me all wrong. So supposing we decided that God was, in fact, redefinable, that we define God in his most accurate sense as pure love. Now, when I when I give this talk in front of groups, someone in the back of the room inevitably stands up and says, oh, Neon, 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 I've been listening to you for these many moments, and your great revelation is that God is pure love. You know, well, we all know that God is love. Everyone agrees that God, the one thing that all religions agree on is that God is love. I say, yes, but pure love. And the, my, my questioner will then say, well, what's the difference? I said, well, the difference is that pure love needs, requires, expects, and demands nothing in return. There's my goosebump moment. Happens every show. Yeah, there it is. Now, if God demands nothing in return, then out goes judgment, condemnation, and punishment. So we, so dare we believe? Dare we? give ourselves permission to believe in a higher power, the highest power, the creation of all, that needs nothing from us, doesn't even need our worship, doesn't need to be honored by us, certainly doesn't need for us to follow its directions or, or do what it commands us to do. You know, what, what if God allowed us to return to it? What if, in fact, God never separated itself from us in any way? And that returning to God was simply a matter of embracing and accepting the eternal truth that we were never separate to begin with. We toss out the illusion of separation. Then we can treat each other in the way that the real God, the true God, treats us. My dear Suzanne, we can't even treat the person across the pillow that way. We can't even treat the person across the room that way. The person, the neighbor across the street, the person across town much less the person are on the other side of the world. We can't even treat the person we're spending our life with in a way that says, you know what? I need nothing from you. 
I hope for nothing from you. I expect nothing from you. And I certainly demand nothing from you in order to receive my love. Because I'm not loving myself through you. I'm not trying to love myself by what you're giving me. And I'm not giving you what I give you so I can get from you what I want to get from you. This is not a trade relationship. Love is not a trade relationship. And so if we decided to live that way and begin with the person across the pillow, with the person across the room, with the person across the street, maybe we could even start doing it with the person around the world. And we could look at that person, regardless of their gender, regardless of their sexual orientation, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their political party, regardless of their economic status, regardless of anything, we could look at that person and say, ah, ah, another me. Another me, yeah, here you are. And I love you, but of course we can't even love ourselves that way. See, we haven't even learned how to love ourselves that way, how to look in the mirror and say to ourselves in the mirror, I love you completely. Come with me exactly as you are. You are perfect in the way I'm looking at you. So it's been very difficult for us to imagine a God who could do that. But once we change our definition of God, I call that the God solution, then we could, in fact, change humanity's interactions with itself and alter the world virtually overnight. Oh, there's the challenge, right? Getting that change in belief system that is so entrenched throughout history. So what you're proposing in your book is, it makes perfect sense when you come to know the true nature of God, but to some it would be blasphemy. Yes, to, to, I would say to the largest number of people who believe in God, it would be blasphemy, which is the sadness, the, the great sadness. Except, you know, one day, if we get there, our civilization will have advanced sufficiently. We will have matured, if you please, sufficiently to embrace the notion, oh, I see, precisely because God is the all in all, precisely because God wants, needs, requires, and expects nothing, God needs nothing from us and therefore has no reason to punish us if we don't give God what we imagine that God is demanding from us. Let me just give your audience a tiny little example of this. We, but first, we have, we have to take a little break. We'll be back yeah, here in about uh, just a few moments. But, but first, these kind words that are very important. I want you to listen to everything you're going to hear because it's very important for you to hear these brief messages. You don't need me at all. Thank you. We'll be right back, everybody. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being 
at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Well, you may have noticed how Neil Donald Walsh did such an expert job of taking us to that break. He has 30 years in broadcast broadcasting. So why don't you bring us back in here, Neil? Welcome back to the program. It's good to have you with us. I hope you listen carefully to everything you've just heard because those are important messages that allow us to continue bringing this information to you. But now that we're back together again, we'd like to begin this portion of our program with a really very important question. One of the most uh, frequently asked questions that Neil ever hears, uh, but I'm not going to give it to you. Uh, here is your, and then our host, Suzanne, who will ask Neil the question. Well, we will get to that key question, but we don't want to give it to everybody all at once, Neil. So I want to start by empowering all of you who are listening or watching to know that you can make a difference by being what Neil calls an idea hero. So Neil, tell us what that is. There are people throughout human history who have dared to put forth an idea that they knew ahead of time that the largest number of people, not everybody, but the largest number of people by far, would disagree with. Galileo is a perfect example. Galileo was an idea hero. It took heroism for him to say at the time he said it, back way back hundreds of years ago, that the earth revolved around the sun. The church at that time taught that the sun revolved around the earth, that the earth was the center of the universe, and that humanity was the highest example of sentient life in the cosmos. And, and such was our such was was our egotism that we, we thought we were it, God's greatest creation ever. So Galileo says this, well, no, actually the earth revolves around the sun, and there's more going on here than meets the eye, as Bill said, and uh, my friend Bill Shakespeare. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he said, well, Bill, Bill, he put it a little differently. Bill said, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. But it meant okay, the same. Just like that. Yeah. It meant the same thing. So, so Galileo was an idea hero because he was placed under house arrest by the church, which had the authority to do that at the time because it was the law of the land. And he was placed under house arrest until he died. Um, Barbara McClintock was another idea hero. Just more recently, back in 1940 or 1945, she was, she's a geneticist, and she said, you know, I've discovered there's such a thing as a jumping genes, genes that jump from one place to another, from one gene to another. And everybody in the profession said that she was wrong, that she was not only wrong, but she was, they seriously questioned her judgment. And they, they drove her out of the profession or tried to until, as it happens, she won the Nobel Prize in 1980 for her discovery. Yeah. But from 1947 until 1980, she was an idea hero because she kept on saying, even though all of her colleagues and everybody in the profession was saying, no, you're wrong about that. 
So what an is, idea. What is the idea that the heroes listening to this program could share with the world? That we are all one and that God does not need to punish or condemn any of us for anything. That the idea is that we've got God all wrong, frankly, that we've simply got, got the whole game wrong, not just God, but the purpose of life, who we really are, our identity, our very raison d'etre, our reason for being. We don't understand any of it. <coughs> Excuse me. And so that leads to then the key question that we alluded to just after the break. Why then, why is this world such a mess if God is all powerful and we are all one? Why is the world such a mess? Well, the, the question that I'm asked is, if there really is a God, why doesn't God just step in? There we go. And, and, and make everything better. Yes. Why doesn't God just solve it? And the answer that I was given by God is that if I wanted to solve everything, if I wanted to create a universe where all you had to do is do exactly what I say and, and I'll fix everything, then I would create a galaxy, a, a solar system, actually a, a cosmos, entire cosmos, filled, filled with minions. But my intention was not to create minions. My intention was to create sentient beings who had free will. And the reason that I wanted to create sentient beings who had free will, who didn't have everything solved for them, but could create their own reality, the reason that I did that was because I wanted to experience through you what divinity really is, that divinity is freedom to create what it wishes and chooses to create. So I imbued in you, every one of you, all the sentient beings of the cosmos, not just those of you on earth, but all the sentient beings in the universe, uh, I imbued in you the ability and the power, giving you the power to create your own reality, not to simply be minions who do as I say, and, and, and then have everything done for them. So because I wanted you to experience the expression that we call creation, that you could create your own reality, not have your reality created for you. So the question so, I'm so often asked is, how do we forget this? Well, or why do we forget it? We, we, we forget it because if we understood it, we wouldn't be, we would know that everything that's ever, that ever was is now and ever will be has already been created. Therefore, we would not be able to step into the metaphysical experience of creating anything because we would understand that it's all been created. Everything that ever was is now and ever will be has already been created. But that doesn't mean that we can't experience the act of creation. You know, when people say to me, Neil, you lost me on that last turn. I don't know what you're saying. I, I say to them, well, have you ever played a game of computer chess? They say, yeah, I've, I've played chess with a computer. I say, great. You do understand that the entire game has been played. You, 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 you're clear that the whole game has been played. Every move you could possibly, the, the people who programmed the, 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 the game sat down for years huh. and worked out every move from every position on the playing board. And so now when you are playing the game, which has already been played, you make a move 
and it might take you three or five minutes to figure out, let's see what I want to do. And then you make the move and the computer answers that fast. And then you make your next move after waiting and thinking about it for 10 minutes and the computer goes that fast because it's already seen that move. It's already happened. The game has already been played. But we are making choices within, I'm using a metaphor, of course, we're making choices within the game that allows us to create the game in a particular way that causes us to produce one of an endless number of outcomes that we choose and prefer to experience. So all that's already happened has already happened. Einstein proved this, by the way. Einstein, the the wonderful great American scientist from a few years ago, actually mathematically proved this. He said if you took on, uh, got into some kind of a rocket ship and took off and flew away from Earth far enough, fast enough, and turned around and came back far enough, fast enough, you could actually land before you took off. Talk to Einstein, by the way, in a meditation, and he showed me himself on that rocket ship. And I had never heard this conversation and looked it up online and found it. So that was fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you see, he proved that time, as we think of it, doesn't exist. And that, in fact, every event in the universe has already occurred. Every possible event has already occurred. We're simply deciding which of the endless, countless number of events we choose to experience. This time we're playing the game of universal chess. Well, let's make a little pivot here. And dive into something you talk in your book about the whole process of creating and how it differs from the more popular secret idea, the law of attraction ideas that we create with our thoughts. You have a formula there that shows what's really happening with creation. Well, I think we do create with our thoughts. Mm -hmm. But the secret ingredient being... I forgot. Emotion. Oh, I said something. What when you've written thirty-nine books? Is it which which particular <laughs> sentence is she referring to out of those thirty-nine books? Yes, yeah. What 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 the what I was told in my conversation with God is that thought is an elementary form of energy, but the most powerful form of energy is emotion, because emotion puts thought into motion, which is why we call it E equals motion. We call it E motion. Energy in motion. So when we allow ourselves to feel rather than simply just think, see, then we move energy into the universe in such a way that it begins impacting the universe itself and producing physical and metaphysical outcomes. The example I like to give audiences when I'm talking in front of a group is this. You can think to somebody, I love you. And you can even say the words, I love you. But when you feel the emotion, then you understand the most powerful process of creation. And when you create your relationship with another from that emotional response, rather than simply what your mind says, or what your words say, but but when you don't just come from your thought about it, but from the emotion that you're feeling, it's that emotion that drives the engine of the grandest human expressions of who we are. totally change the situation. I very rarely get emails from people that are a little bit nasty. And instead of just hitting delete, I move to that heart space 
try to see things from their point of view and put love into the answer. And it is stunning how they come back completely changed. Yes. I bring this up because we're talking about how to change our world. And and, and God talks about melding emotions. Here's where the real trick is. God says, wouldn't it be interesting if you chose to meld your first emotional response to anything with God's emotion and what you understand God's emotion to be? And if we agree that God is pure love, there's not even any mystery about it. But we decide to take our first emotional response and mix it and meld it with God's emotional response so that we have a singular emotional response, which is what causes us to be able to write the kind of answers that you write to people who are sending you nasty emails and the thousands that you'd be getting after my appearance on this program. One thing that I loved in your book that's very practical for everybody that's tuned into this program now is how you said that it, how helpful it is to notice our programmed, our conditioned responses, especially to people we live with. And that in advance, you can set the intention of, I know this is going to come up again and reprogram your response to that, to one that's in line with who you are, God in expression. I love that. In fact, I'm trying it. We'll see if my husband noticed a difference. Some one little thing in, that I'm trying to change. Well, we can decide it. You're right. The, yeah. the, the book, The God Solution, in, invites us to decide ahead of time. Yeah. You know, the, the student is the one who, and the good student, to be fair, the really good students decide after the fact, oh, you know, I want to change, I want to change my emotional response to what just occurred. But the master is the one who decides ahead of time, right. knowing that the event, that the experience is going to occur again. Life is quite predictable. There's nothing new going on. We're all going to experience betrayal, upset, shame, fear, regret, anger, disappointment. We're all going to experience the same, the same different emotional encounters. Uh, different, different events may cause those encounters, but the same 100 encounters are going to occur Uh, are going to occur in our lifetime. But when we decide ahead of time, oh, how do I want to behave? Let let me give you an example. Uh, When my wife and I were going off on our honeymoon, I was so excited that she said she she would marry me. Actually, she asked me. We were in the car and driving down the road. We knew each other a week. We were just brand new to each other. And she looked at me and she said, she said, you know, I think we should be married. And I looked at her and I said, you don't want to say that to me twice. She said, no, I I need it. I think we should be married. We're perfect for each other. I reached across the car, shook her hand and said, done. And the next day we flew to Las Vegas and we got married. No way. Yeah. We, you know, we went to one of those wedding chapels. You can go to the courthouse in Las Vegas and get a marriage license. No waiting period. They gave you a license right then and there. How many and years ago was that? Fifteen. Okay. Fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- that that is a, uh, a wonderful example of deciding ahead of time how you're going to respond. I brought, I brought my wife into it for this reason. As we are going to the airport the next day, to take the flight to Las Vegas for our marriage slash honeymoon. Of course, you would, you would know that would be the very day that there's a mix-up in the reservation. 
And the guy says, I'm sorry, Mr. Walsh, we don't seem to have your, we don't seem to have a reservation for you here. And I, of course, lost it because I was so excited that this incredibly delicious woman standing behind me was going to be my wife in another 24 hours. So I let the guy have it. Do you know how many miles I spend on this air? I'm a, one of the golden million mile members. I practically own the company. You know, blah, blah, blah. How can you possibly make? And the guy was like blown away. And then somewhere in the middle of it, I realized, oh, my sweetheart is about three feet behind me wondering, is this the guy I'm marrying? Mm. So I turned, I kind of calmed down a little bit. And I turned to her and I said, I could be handling this a little better, couldn't I? She looked at me and she said, possibly. Possibly. <laughs> so I decided from that point on, I thought, you know, I'm going to be disappointed. Somebody's going to not serve me the way I think I deserve to be served. You know, whatever. Things are going to happen. And what if I decided ahead of time that the next time that happens, I'm going to behave in a certain way? Because I know it's going to happen again. Right. Because my my, my dear darling wife came to calling that particular part of me. She she gave it a little nickname. She called me airport guy. No. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. through the years, when, when that guy would show up and things wouldn't happen the way I think they should happen, she'd go, ah, uh, there's airport guy. Remember airport guy? And I go, oh, yeah, I'm showing up as airport guy. Finally, about seven or eight years ago, I ditched airport guy forever. I just got... Nice. I, you know, I said goodbye to airport guy. It's got to be a song title in there somewhere. <laughs> sure. And and I decided that the next time, you know, someone wasn't serving me the way I felt I should be served, whether it's a restaurant at a hotel front desk or whatever it is, I was going to behave differently. And sure enough, after making that decision ahead of time, I got to a hotel. Sure, you wouldn't you know that my wife and I are traveling from the Netherlands, and they had they didn't have the room that we had reserved. I'm sorry, Mr. Walsh, there seems to be some mistake here. You know, and I said, you know, these things happen. These I wouldn't, be too, happen. I wouldn't yeah. be too concerned about, I'm sure there's a way to resolve this. Let's see, let's see what kind of res- resolution we can find. And the guy behind the front desk said, wow, you're reacting a lot differently than most people ever would. Let me see if I can find it. And, of course, we got the presidential suite. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, 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 but, but the, the point being, that we can decide ahead of time. So what the book offers is for us to make a list of the 10 things that really trigger us the most and and decide what those are. People being late, for instance, is one that, that triggers me a lot because I feel, I feel like they're not honoring my time. So, so it triggers me when people are late for an appointment that they've made with me, then they come 20 minutes late or a half hour late. But... Uh, I, I look at I look at the ten things that trigger me, and in the second column on my piece of paper, how I want to react the next time one of those ten things they're perfectly predictable. The next time one of those ten things happen, and and you know what stops me from doing that, and what would happen if I did it anyway. And boy, that simple process has changed so much in the way I am showing up in life. And you've just, we've gone from these cosmic conversations down to the mundane, and yet it's, it is because we're all connected, it's totally connected. The download that I got from my guides about the situation in the Ukraine, it truly does. Peace begins right here within every one of us. 
if you can start behaving that way with the people that push your buttons right in front of you, then that translates to treating all others, everything with the same pure love. There's never been a more profound truth spoken. That's, that's in fact, what's so. And I was just reading on the internet the other day uh, that they're saying now that, that Mr. Putin has been ill-advised by his military advisors. They're not telling him what's actually happening on the ground in Ukraine. They don't want to tell him that they're not, not making the kind of progress they thought they were making. And they don't want to tell him about the impact of the economic sanctions on Russia. And the reason that they don't want to tell him the, uh, is that they're afraid. They're afraid to tell him. They're afraid of what his reaction might be to them. You know, off with your head. We should be doing better than this. So that's a, a large example of what's true for many of us in our individual lives. And you know, you know what, what one of the greatest compliments my dear wife ever gave me in my life she came home from her mother's house about a few years ago. She was having a lunch with her mom and she came back home. Out of the blue, I was sitting in my comfortable chair just work, working on something. And she walked up to me across the living room. And she and I, I started to get up. She said, no, no, don't, don't get up. Just stay there. She, she grabbed my face with both of her hands. And she looked at me and she said, you are so safe. You are so safe. Huh. Yeah. I said, wow, where's that coming from? She said, I can show up in whatever way I show up. And you have made it so safe. Now, you know, to me, that was a graduation. I realized, you know, somebody wouldn't have said that 10, 15 years ago. My previous wives wouldn't have said that. My family wouldn't have said that. So I could see, oh, I've become safe. Yes. One of the many ways that I have learned what conversations with God had to share with me, that life was about evolving into demonstrating and experiencing the next grandest version of the greatest vision I ever held about who I am. You, you hit the nail on the head there, Neil, because most of us are walking around in a state of fear and all of the things that are contrary to our true nature as expressions of God come from a place of feeling not safe. And that gets right back to what we were talking about at the very beginning about the sense of separation. And we're not safe and we're not safe from God. See, the, the, great, the great doctrine of most of the world's religions is you cannot feel safe from God. In fact, you should be a God-fearing man. God-fearing people are the people who are reading the people of God are God-fearing. Don't you dare feel safe, no matter what you do. And then God said something to me that was so astonishing. At first, I couldn't even write it down. I was so rattled by the statement. God said, Neil, Hitler went to heaven. People don't want to hear that. And that found its way into the book. I put it in the book and I challenged people to understand a God who could accept Hitler and who could make the statement true that even Hitler went to heaven. Well, you have a few minutes to help people understand that here because there are quite a few who won't. I understand. But when we understand 
the nature, the true nature of divinity. And when we understand who we really are and why we're really here, and when we understand the process by which we can become the next grandest version, and when we see that, of course, that process entails us undertaking and making decisions and choices that do not represent who we really are. That one of the ways that we learn who we are is by first expressing and experiencing who we are not. But that which we call God understands that perfectly and makes it very clear. And I wish I had more time to share with you, but we're running out of time. But I'm going to give you my last statement, because usually around this time in our interview, somebody says, we have 30 seconds left. What is your, what is your final statement? I asked God, what is, what, do I, what is the most important message you could give me? And she said, Neil, here's the most important message. Your life has nothing to do with you. It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. And when you understand that, everything else will fall into place and make perfect sense. And you'll see that your life really is about you, but not about little you, not about what Barbara Marks Hubbard would call local you, but about universal you. And that's when you'll touch the world in a way that no one will ever forget that you went through their life. So I tell people, the first time you see anyone on any, any given day, the first time you see your beloved across the pillow, or your family across the room, or your neighbor across the street, or a stranger across town, the first time you see anyone, say this to yourself quietly. Don't say it out loud because no one will understand, but say it to yourself quietly. Your life will be made better today from my having passed through it. I Let's promise that you. One more time loudly, please. Your life will be made better today for my having passed through it. I promise you. Be careful, because somebody might ask you, by whose authority are you acting like this? But you'll be able to give them your answer. When a man asks you for your coat, give him your shirt as well. When a man asks you to walk one mile with him, go with him too. Beautiful wisdom that you've shared with us. Thank you so much for being part of this program today. So glad to have had the chance. Thank you for the invitation. How lovely to be with you. You are as beautiful inside as you are outside. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.